We are going to continue our series in theology, and we're studying the doctrines of the Bible and uh, why we believe what we believe. We are on the doctrine of bibliology, which is actually the study of the Bible, and what do we believe about the Bible. We talked about what is truth, and Jesus told us in John 17, verse 17, that his word was truth. We talked about last week the authority of the Bible. We talked about revelation, the two kinds of revelation, general revelation and special revelation. Uh, We also talked about inspiration and what that was and how God used that through the human authors to pen the Scripture for us. Uh, And we saw that the Bible teaches that all Scripture is inspired by God. And we also, when we began this, we, we talked about four aspects of the Bible that we want to learn. Number one, the authority. We talked about that last week. Number two, the clarity of Scripture. Can you understand the Bible? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Then we're going to talk about not only those two things, authority and clarity. We're going to talk about the next next week, the necessity of the Bible. Why is it necessary that this be in my life? And then finally, the sufficiency of the Bible. Is it all I need? Or do I need to add something to this? Do I have to have something other than the Bible to know what God says to me and to know how to live my life? Or is the Bible sufficient for what I need? So we're going to talk about all those things. And we're approaching our study of theology in a more exegetical and practical method. Now, what do I mean by that? There are two basic ways to study theology. First of all is what we're doing, exegetical and practical. The other way is to study theology apologetically. By that I mean we study it in order to gain information to defend what we believe against people who believe something different. Um, Two reasons why I chose practical rather than apologetic. Number one, and probably foremost... Apologetic is more for a seminary student or Ph.D. that is actually going to engage in conversations with people who are trying to convince you or convince others that the Bible is not true. The bottom line is normally when you and I get into conversations like that, they end up being nothing but an argument to prove that I'm right rather than a ministry to help change somebody's heart. The second reason I chose practical is to counteract what I just told you about that. If I'm going to use the Bible to practically help myself and to help someone else, I need to know from the heart what the Holy Spirit wants me to do with the Bible. There are a lot of people who apologetically and intellectually can argue from human wisdom a debate about the Bible. But if you examine their life, About 80 to 90% of their life, they don't do anything they say they believe. They know all about it, and they're really smart when it comes to religion, but their life is a mess. What is beneficial for you and I as normal believers trying to live the everyday life and follow Christ is that you and I know how to take the Scripture and do what it says in our life. So that's why we're approaching it from that aspect. And um, there are a lot of good books, and there are a lot of, uh, I think, audio and video resources that you could get that would actually help you to study the Bible apologetically. 
If you want to get into that deeper aspect of why we believe what we believe about the Bible and to be able to actually interact at the level of those who are going to be like Paul on Mars Hill, the philosophers who argue the philosophy. If that's what you want, there are some uh, some resources for you to do that. For our purposes, that's not practical. I want us to know what we believe and why we believe it so that it changes our life and we can clearly and easily explain that to somebody else. So that's why we're approaching it from this aspect. So today, we're going to talk about the clarity of the Bible. Here's the question that comes up when you deal with the clarity of the Bible. Well, you know, I read the Bible and I, I just have a hard time understanding it. Can the Bible really be understood? You know, Martin Luther, at the beginning of the Reformation, asked himself the same question. Because the Roman Catholic Church of the day had taught the laity that you were not wise or spiritual enough to be able to read the Bible and interpret it properly. Part of the reason was they kept the Scriptures written in Latin, and most of the laity didn't know Latin. And so the Catholic priest who knew Latin, that was part of their defense as to why they had to interpret the Scripture for them. Martin Luther began to wonder if the Scripture is really the Scripture. And he was a monk, and he did study the Scripture. And he began to see that there were things that the church was teaching that the Scripture did not teach. And as a result, he began to see the danger of keeping the common believer hidden from their God-given right to be able to read and understand the Bible themselves. So he went through the Bible, and he came up with 95 things that the church said that contradicted the Bible. And he wrote it in a thesis, and he nailed those 95 things and his explanation on the door of the church in Edinburgh, England, and thus began the Reformation. When the people began to realize the Bible can be understood and we can know what God says without having to go through some other human being. So we want to answer the question today, can the Bible really be understood? So let's look, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse number 6. And uh, let's lay a foundation here and then we'll get into our notes. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 6. The Bible says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. we stop right there for a minute and explain to you what he's saying. He talks about a secret wisdom that God had. This is not, and I, and I want us to understand this, this is not some secret code. This is not some secret society with its own secret set of rules that only certain people can get in. And if you're not invited, you can't be here. And if you try and infiltrate this secret society, then you will be in danger even of your life. 
because we're secret. And nobody can know this but us. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the mystery, as he explains in other places in the New Testament, of the gospel. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the sufficient payment for our sins. All through the Old Testament, the Messiah was prophesied of and was told of. And in those prophecies, there were shadows and pictures of what would come. But He had not come yet. Once Jesus came, He was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. And now the mystery, the thing that those shadows and those foretellings were talking about, it has now come. It's not a mystery anymore. You don't get saved or you don't become righteous by keeping the law. You now do it through Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is our Messiah, the propitiation for our sins. He is the payment. Now the mystery has been revealed. And you notice what Paul says here. This secret wisdom, this mystery, Paul says, was determined by God for our glory, literally for our glorification through Christ, before the world ever began. God already knew when He created us we were going to sin. And we were going to need a sacrifice to pay for our sin. So He had determined before the world began that Jesus would be that sacrifice. That's why the Bible says He is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God already knew that. So that's what He's talking about. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus being our sacrifice and our Savior. Not some secret society that nobody can be in or that nobody can understand, okay? So let's keep going. Verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 10 is very important. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit teaches or searches all things even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Notice again, we've gotten the Spirit. Why? So we can understand the stuff that God has given us. This is what we speak. Notice this, not in words taught us by human wisdom. This stuff that we're learning, this doesn't come from some triple PhD teaching us from some high intellectual level of knowledge. That's not where this comes from. This doesn't come from human wisdom from a man, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth, in spiritual words. This is a spiritual book. It's a supernatural book. It deals with mankind on a whole nother level than just human knowledge. And that's what Paul is saying. Verse 14. As a result of this, the man without the Spirit. He's already said the Spirit is the one that teaches us. The Spirit is the one who gives us understanding. The Spirit is the one that takes His kinds of communication, spiritual wisdom and spiritual words, and gives it to us. Therefore, the logical conclusion is, the man without the Spirit does not accept 
that which comes from the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Somebody says, you know, I read the Bible, I just can't understand it. There's a lot of reasons why there may be aspects of the Bible you and I cannot understand. And we're going to talk about some of those in just a minute. Let me tell you the main reason the average human being cannot understand the Bible. Because you have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you to understand the Bible. He's the author. He's the teacher. He's the explainer. He's the applicator. He's everything. Without Him, the Bible just becomes another piece of literature to be read and interpreted from human intellect. And if we try and read and interpret the Bible from simple human intellect, it doesn't make sense. That's why Paul said, the man who doesn't have the Spirit of God, who tries to understand the Bible thinks it's foolishness. It's silly stories accepted by simple people about a Savior that is mythical because none of this makes sense. This morning um, in our other class, Andrew was uh, talking about some of this, and he said, uh, let me challenge you sometime. Go to Google and Google inconsistencies in the Bible. He said, you will have hundreds of hits come up. And if you go through, and if you have nothing to do and you want to fall asleep, you may want to try this, but if you go through and start looking at some of them, these are all the efforts of human wisdom to discount the Bible. And these are all of their explanations as to why the Bible is foolish. But don't be shocked. Paul told us. That's what would happen. Without the Spirit of God inside of me to help me understand. Or, as we'll see in a minute, prior to salvation, without the Spirit of God convincing me that Jesus is God, that He died and rose again, and that I need Him in my life. Without the Holy Spirit convincing me of that, I will never believe it. Accept it or even go after it. So, With that in mind, and that is our foundation, let's start looking at several things. First of all, here is our doctrinal statement about the Bible. We've read it every week. The Bible is God's Word to us. It's written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living because it's inspired by God. It is truth without any mixture of error. There are three aspects of understanding the clarity of the Bible. This is how we know the Bible can be understood. So we're going to spend the next few minutes and we're going to talk about these three aspects of understanding the Bible. Illumination. This is the Holy Spirit's work where He helps us to understand it. Interpretation. This is my responsibility to efficiently understand and explain the Bible, first of all, to myself. And then application, which is where I actually take what I've learned and put it to use in my life. All three of these are necessary to understand the Bible. All three of them, not just the first two. If I'm the kind of person that when I got saved, I read my Bible for about six weeks, and then I decided life was too busy, I just don't have time for the Bible. 
I can read it, and I can tell you what it says. I can explain it to you because I grew up in church. I've heard it all my life. So, so I, I, I know what it says. I've got the Holy Spirit inside. I understand it. I also can give you the proper interpretation because, hey, I went to Sunday school. I know what it says. But there's all kinds of the Bible that I don't understand because I've never applied it in my life. And you're going to see in just a minute that the application of the Scripture is vitally important to understanding the Bible, especially beyond just the experience of salvation. It has to do with spiritual maturity. That's why some people understand the simple stuff about the Bible and really have a hard time with the other stuff. And there are others who understand the more difficult stuff and can explain it to you. Number three is the key piece. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. First of all, let's talk about illumination. Here's the basic definition. Illumination is simply the work of the Holy Spirit to help mankind understand God's Word. Now, how does this happen? Turn to John chapter 14 and look with me at verse number 26. And stay there. We're going to look at a couple of other passages around the Gospel of John dealing with illumination. Okay? Here's basically the explanation. Um, And by the way, I apologize these words are so little. Maybe when we go to our next venue... We'll have a 40 by 40 foot gigantic Scantron screen and we can have four foot letters. Um, or maybe we'll be in a room that's only 40 feet by 40 feet. We'll all be closer to the screen, which is probably more likely. Anyway, in John 14 and verse 26, look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all Things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer has two vital jobs when it comes to understanding the Bible. Number one, he teaches us. And we're going to talk more about how he does that in a minute. Number two, he reminds us of what we've learned. That's why it's so important that we put the Scripture in our mind. We've talked about this before, but a quick review will probably help us. Our mind is like a computer. You've got an internal hard drive, and then you've got RAM. RAM is the random access memory of our brain. It's what we call our conscious mind. It's the part of our brain that's running right now. It's the part of your brain that is functioning right now so you understand what I'm saying. This afternoon, when you are in a semi-comatose state, after eating your Sunday lunch and trying to watch if you're like me, golf on TV where those little claps serve as little angels playing their violins to put me to sleep. If you're in that place this afternoon, you're probably not in your conscious mind going to be thinking about what I said. However, tomorrow on your job or wherever you are, something may happen that will trigger a thought of something we talked about today that will give you a principle to help you make a decision, to help you answer a friend, to help you give some advice. And what has happened is that the Holy Spirit has dug into the hard drive of your mind and pulled out some scriptural principles that you have learned. And he is doing John 14, 26. He is reminding you of what we have been taught. Now, the problem, obviously, is if he digs down into the hard drive of my brain and there ain't nothing there, you can't get blood out of a turnip. So I need to put stuff there for him to go in and use 
Because that's what he does. And I'm telling you, when you get to the application part, where you start to use this idea and realize the Holy Spirit is doing this in your life, the more he does it, the more you're going to understand what the Bible is saying as you read through it. Oh, yeah, I know what he's talking about here because he taught this over here, and I've seen it happen in my life. So I know it works. And your understanding gets greater and brighter. Okay? So he does three things here. Let me give you these real fast. The Holy Spirit convinces the world of sin. That's John 16, verses 5 through 11, and John 15, verse 26. This is the part where the Holy Spirit works on the heart of somebody that's not saved. Now, we mentioned a few minutes ago that as believers, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and that's how we are helped to understand the Bible when we read it. But somebody says, but what about an unbeliever? An unbeliever doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them to help them do that. So how can they understand the Bible in order to know they need to get saved? John chapter 16, this is where the Bible says, Jesus speaking, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world or convince them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what he does to an unsaved person. Now, he does the same stuff to us about sin in our life after we get saved. But the first thing that has to happen is I've got to be convinced I am a sinner and I need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. So that's the first thing he does in the human heart. Once I accept that, then the Bible teaches he comes to live inside of me. Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter. The world won't understand him because they don't have him. But you will know him because he will be with you and he will live in you. These passages in John say, okay? So, he convinces the world of sin. We get saved. He comes to live inside of us. Then number two, he teaches the truth to God's people. That's what we just talked about in John 14, 26. The Comforter will teach us and remind us. Then number three, he empowers others to teach the truth. This is where he gives spiritual gifts to the body or to the church. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1 Paul said, brother, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Then he begins to explain them. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7 and verse 28, he lists teaching as a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an ability, a spiritual ability given by the Holy Spirit to a believer within the body of Christ to help with the edifying or building up of the body. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 and 12, the Bible, again, talks about the gift of, the, of teaching. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Also is another passage that talks about the spiritual gift of teaching. So the Holy Spirit helps us understand the Bible by what he does and by the spiritual gifts he imparts to people within the body who also teach us to help us understand the Bible. Okay? So that's illumination. That's vitally important. And without that, without the Holy Spirit, then we can't do these other things. Next, interpretation. What does this mean? To simply give an explanation. It comes from a Greek word that literally means to interpret or to explain. Okay? So, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn there with me quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at verse number 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, 
Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Basically, interesting, he says, Timothy, warn those people that all they want to do is argue about the Bible. Arguing about the Bible does no good. As a matter of fact, all it does is harm the people who listen. So what am I supposed to do? Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. He talks about correctly or properly handling the Scripture. Now, this is where interpretation comes in. A couple of things. Number one, basic question we want to answer about interpretation. What is God saying? When I read the Bible, or when we study the Bible together, the question we're trying to answer is not, what do you think about the Bible? And a lot of times, especially in, in smaller group discussions, you have to be careful because it turns into, what does everybody think about the Bible? And nobody really gets to the real question. The real question is, what is God saying? Whether I like what He's saying or not, that is the question that needs to be answered. What is God really saying? What is He saying to me? What is He saying to us as a body? What is He saying to our church? What is He saying to our community? What is God saying? That's what we want to know when we study and try and explain the Bible. Okay? The second thing is there is what is called biblical hermeneutics. What is this? This is simply the study on how to interpret the Bible. So what I'm going to do, and I, we have a whole, I've got a whole seminar I do on how to study the Bible, which is um, about five or six lessons. I usually teach it in a weekend retreat. We don't have time to do that. Uh, we don't even have time to go through a partial explanation of all the things you can do to study the Bible. But let me give you five things real quick, and they're very simple. Number one, when you study the Bible, you interpret it literally. And what, why would you do that? Because that's the purpose of language. God didn't write a book full of a bunch of stories that you've got to figure out. And by the way, if I have to figure it out, if it's all allegorical, then whatever I think it means means just as much as whatever you think it means. But if you interpret it literally... And as we saw, when the Bible was inspired, every word was inspired. If you interpret it literally, then you're going to know what God was trying to say. For example, if it's allegorical, well, first of all, if it's literal, then what does John 3.16 mean? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, if we interpret the Bible literally, then what does that mean? That means that God loved us so much that he gave his only son who died and rose again, and if I believe in him, I won't die and go to hell. I'll have eternal life. Now, if you interpret that allegorically, what does that mean? Who knows? For God so loved the world. That's a hidden meaning. There's not really a God. That was a tree that liked humanity so much it became beautiful and produced these pretty little flowers so that we would not perish, that we would not have to live our life with this horrible feeling, but we can enjoy nature and love being around our environment until we died and just went back to dust and ceased to exist. 
Now, if you interpret it allegorically, you cannot prove that what I just told you is not the meaning of John 3.16 because there is no way to prove that. Okay? So, if you can't tell, I'm very, very adamant about the literal interpretation of Scripture. There are a lot of people that aren't. And that's where all these crazy, crazy beliefs come from that come out of somebody's brain who is 54 years old, but when they were 18, they fried it on acid. And they're having flashbacks, okay, or something. I don't know. Okay, number two, grammatically. When we study the Bible, we want to study it grammatically. Every word's inspired. And the grammar is very important, okay? Number three, contextually. You can't take one phrase of one verse and pull it out of the Bible and build a whole doctrine on it. Study it in its context. Who wrote it? When was it written? What was going on around the time it was written? What was said before the verse? What was said after the verse? And, and you guys know this because that's how we study the Bible in here. We go verse by verse and we study the context. I have a tendency to go overboard sometimes because I want to make sure that you understand that what we're talking about is what's actually being taught here and we didn't just yank a verse out and come up with our own idea, okay? And that sometimes to a fault. I go overboard. But I would rather you see the whole picture than think it was just one verse. All right? Number four, study it completely. Compare Scripture with Scripture. There is, the Bible is without error, so it's not going to contradict itself. However, there may be passages of Scripture, if you only read that one passage, you would think it's contradicting itself. And I wish we had time in our, in our study on how to study the Bible. We go through some examples of that. But you've got to compare the whole Bible as a unit and put it all together. You can't just pull parts of it out. And then finally, number five, we've got to study it practically. The Bible was written as God's message to us. That's why in James chapter 1, the Bible says, beginning in verse 22, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, deceiving your own self. If any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man that looks at himself in a mirror sees what kind of man he is, and then goes his way and does nothing about it. So is the person who reads the Bible and does not do what it says. That's why we study the Bible practically. The first question we answer when we interpret the Bible, what is God saying? The second question we answer brings us to our last point, application. What is God saying to me? That's the application part. That's the practical part. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate therein day and night so you can observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Why? Because the reason we study the Bible and the reason we learn how to explain the Bible and understand it is so that we can do what it says. Now, let me show you these three things real quick, and we're going to be done. Number one, obedience enhances understanding. In John chapter 12 and verse 26, the Bible gives a very interesting verse. It talks about the apostles. Jesus had talked about his resurrection. I'll tear this temple down, and in three days, I'll rebuild it. They did not understand 
what he was talking about. And verse 26 of John 12 says, Until his resurrection and he was glorified, then they understood what he was talking about. Sometimes there are going to be parts of the Bible that we read and we don't fully understand until we begin to obey it and we watch it in action. And as we see God prove himself by doing what he taught, then we begin to understand. The other aspect of that is sometimes it takes time for us to understand what's going on. I understood more when I was in the ninth grade about how math functioned than I did when I was in the first grade learning one plus one is not three. Because between the first grade and the ninth grade, I learned all kinds of things that just kept getting added on to what one plus one was. That's how the spiritual life is. As we learn, we put precept upon precept. We learn principle upon principle. And as we put them together and use them in our life, then we begin to understand more. So obedience enhances understanding. Number two, maturity enhances understanding. Turn with me real quick to Hebrews chapter 5. And let me show you verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11. The Bible says we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain. It's hard for me to interpret this to you, the writer of Hebrews says. Why? Because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, what's he talking about? He's basically talking about elementary school of the Christian life. I get saved. I get into elementary school. I start learning the basics about being a Christian. Well, after I've been in elementary school for 25 years, I ought to be out of elementary school as a Christian. I need to be moving on to more difficult areas of victory, learning righteousness, learning to be like Jesus in areas of my life I couldn't handle when I first became a Christian. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you've been saved long enough to have gotten out of elementary school. But when I try and teach you 300-level Christian principles, you don't understand it. You keep telling me, we don't understand this. That doesn't make sense. And he says, the reason is you need to go back to elementary school and learn those simple truths all over again because they are the foundation for understanding the 300-level principles. Maturity enhances understanding. Well, how does maturity come? Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. How do they get that way? Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. We go back to the practical application of the Scripture. We go back to applying what we're learning to our life. Do you know how we mature spiritually? By constantly using what we're learning in our life. That's how we grow spiritually. I don't grow spiritually by doing this. By shoving knowledge of what the Bible says into my brain and then it stays right here and it never goes into my heart and into my hands 
and into my legs and into my lips and into my eyes and into my ears to where it affects all of that. That's the hard part. You know, if all we had to do as a Christian would come to church, endure two hours of preaching, and then we could go live any way we wanted to and everybody would be okay, it might not be so difficult. Life would be a whole lot more miserable. But what we had to do would be a whole lot easier. However, that's not how it is, is it? And by the way, that's not how we want it to be. If everything God tells us here is to make our life better, then why would I not want to do these things? Okay? So, maturity enhances understanding. Number three, wisdom enhances understanding. We don't have time to read these, but let me give them to you. Proverbs 9, verses 6 through 11. Psalm 19, 7 and 8. And Psalm 119, 130. Proverbs 9 basically says, if you try and teach a fool, he's not going to learn. If you teach a wise man, he will become wiser. If you rebuke or correct a wise man, he will have more understanding. Here's the bottom line. Wisdom enhances understanding because wise people realize they don't know everything. And so they gladly accept instruction, which makes them wiser, which leads to greater understanding of the Bible. Let me give you a simple definition of the word simple in the book of Proverbs. What does that mean? When the Bible talks about a simple person or a foolish person, is it talking about somebody who intellectually is stupid? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, he mentions several times, not only in the book of Proverbs, but also in the New Testament, about the wisdom of this world. There are people who are geniuses in human wisdom. The simple person is the person who lacks sound judgment, is prone to bad decisions, and is led away easily. That's what the book of Proverbs does. It teaches us wisdom. So we're not led away easily. So we are not prone to bad decisions. Because we learn to make wise decisions based upon the principles we learn in the Bible. So, the clarity of the Bible. Can the Bible be understood? Yes, it can. But I have to have the Holy Spirit. I have to interpret it properly, and then I have to apply it and use it in my life. All three of those things are necessary for me to grow in my spiritual understanding of the Bible. Okay? Now, next week, we're going to talk about the necessity of the Bible. Is the Bible really all I need? Uh, and we're going to talk about that next week. Father, thank you for your word. Use it in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've got a few minutes. Let's have our breakouts. Ladies back here, co-ed, 20-somethings, and the men. Have a great week, everybody.